Are there any rules? Welcome to From the Valley Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Tim Wilshire, Brisbane Business Life. This is episode 18, the 29th of November 2018. I've got a very special guest here with me today. Uh, he, he's got a lot of different hats. So uh, Everest Resources, uh, he's got a very good HR business there that uh, confidential tax and business services have used. Uh, with our staff with employment contracts and stuff like that. Um, Ashwood Bamboo Blinds um, has been going for a long time as well. Uh, an integral member of the Brisbane Airport Rotary Club uh, and I quite often catch up with Dennis Keating, this is, at BOTS and KBBG. Welcome along, Dennis. Thank you, Tim. Thanks for having me. Excellent. So been a little while since I had a podcast uh, uploaded had a few cancellations here and there so thanks for uh, the Kiwi saving the the day here (laughs) so uh, Dennis um, known you for quite a while now Um, tell us a bit about life growing up in New Zealand uh, whereabouts you came from and uh, I guess some of the early life and a bit of family dynamics and what sort of motivated you as a youngster yeah, well, I was born and bred in Wellington, um, brought up in Upper Hutt, which is uh, one of the sort of northern suburbs of Wellington. Um, Catholic family of uh, seven kids. I've got five sisters, or have five sisters, and one brother. Um, so for many years, I was the only boy in the family, so uh, surrounded by five sisters was interesting. Um, and uh, yeah, we were brought up uh, as a Catholic family, as I said. Uh, went to Catholic school, um, uh, but we had uh, plenty, plenty of opportunities as kids. Uh, education was always very important to us. Uh, parents um, uh, ensured that we got a good education and helped us with homework and made sure that we did uh, did well in class. Um, and uh, reading was a very strong thing in our family as well. So there's lots of books around. Um, Dad was in the printing industry, so. Uh, uh, books and reading and libraries and so on were central to what we did. Um, I was very keen on sport. So what sports were you into, Dennis? Um, well, I was, I was a good runner as a youngster, a sprinter, and, um, so I, and I loved running and loved racing, um, and a bit of winning always helps. Um, I wasn't that flash at uh, sports like rugby and soccer and so on, but um, became reasonably competent, I guess, over time. I enjoyed tennis. Had a go at cricket, but wasn't very good at that. Um, but running was my my real thing, and uh, I've continued to do that to this day. In fact, went for a run this morning. Oh, really? So <laughs> already had been out there. How far did you go this morning? Oh, it was just about half an hour, about five or six k. Fuck, that's that's. Uh, I'm not won't say divulge, but you know that's that's pretty bloody good. That's, <laughs> that's um, at my advanced age. Is that what you're saying, Tim? <laughs> I won't just I won't sort of tell the listeners um, what about that, but anyway, uh, but that's very very good, Dennis. Um, it's great to keep fit, and uh, it's certainly um, you know if you, what sort of motivates you to sort of go for a run in the morning. Is there something that sort of says, well, I have to do this because, or just what's how do you sort of want to keep yourself in a what, what I what I can see trim shape? Well, I'm not one of those people that's addicted to to running and exercise, but I do see as it it's important um, for general health. Um, health is important to me, um, and uh, you know, fit body, fit mind. Uh, believed in that also, um, and I just find it's it's good. It gets the day off to a good start if you do it in the morning. Um, if, yep. you, if you battle out there in the evening at the moment, it's pretty hard going. So, yeah. But you know, I mix it up now. Um, run once or twice a week. Uh, usually play a game of tennis on uh, Saturday afternoon, and fit in a cycle on Sunday morning, and maybe another one during the week. So, you know, mix it up with them. Range of bike. Yeah. yeah, I got a bike now too, yeah. so I'll yeah. start using it again. It's yeah, I can't run as much as I used to because the body's just uh, exactly a bit old. Um, plays yeah. up with my back and that sort of thing, but you know, half an hour or so is good, and uh, that's all you need on a daily basis. Do you find your your knees and that sort of thing? Does it put much pressure on your knees running? Or um, it has at times over the years. I uh, did have a problem a few years ago with one of the knees with a bit of cartilage, but that uh, wore itself out. And uh, now I'm I'm fine. I you know I don't really have too many problems as long as I don't try and go too far or too for too long. Mm, Used to run marathons, but uh, those geez. days are well and truly gone. Well, <laughs> yeah, we're not Steve Montagetti, are we? Um, but yeah, so New Zealand. What did you think about sort of growing up in New Zealand as a country? Did you at the time was it uh, was it fairly enjoyable for yourself growing up there? Is, what was the motivation, I guess, um, 
as you're sort of becoming an adult. Yeah, New Zealand, um, growing up in the 60s in New Zealand, it was it was a pretty good lifestyle, really. Um, I think at that time, New Zealand was certainly among the highest, if not the highest standard of living in the world. Um, and... Um, and we were okay. We weren't we weren't rich, but we were comfortable. Um, you know, in suburbia there. Um, Dad was in a government job, so it was secure. Um, there was full employment, like there was literally no one unemployed. Um, and um, yeah, life life was good. Um, you know, it was different from what it is now with all the technology and so on. We didn't have all the appliances and so on. Um, Mum worked. At as a housewife in the in the home, you know, she didn't go out to work; um, she kept the home going. Um, but yeah, it, it was good. It was enjoyable. We had outings. Um, uh, you know, um, there, there were never, you know, to, to a child growing up, there were never sort of problems or there was no shortage of anything. You mm. know? So it was it was a good time. Mm. I guess. So when was the first time you lived outside of uh, New Zealand, and uh, so where was that? And also, um, how did you find it? Well, uh, the first, my first trip overseas was the, the, the big overseas experience, um, really. Um, uh, I got married um, to Monica and uh, we'd lived um, in a small town for a couple of years or so and then we decided to go overseas and we went off to London, flew off to London. Um, this was early 80s um, and we toured around Europe, uh, lived and worked in London for about a year and then uh, toured back uh, on the way back through America, Canada, and so on. Um, so yeah, it was it was just one of those things you did in your twenties. Yeah. Uh, back then, a lot of Kiwis were doing it. Um, I think probably a lot of Aussies were as well. Uh, we certainly ran across a few in London. Um, but be- New Zealand being so far away, uh, even further away from the rest of the world than Australia is, um, New Zealanders tend to be quite outward-looking in terms of getting around the world. And um, so a lot of people were doing this, a lot of friends, relatives, and so on. So, um, and it was a good experience, you know. Like, um, Britain at that time wasn't in great shape, probably, um, but for Kiwis and Aussies going there, it was um, there were good opportunities for for work at a basic level, and sometimes a bit better than that. And um, uh, you earned enough money to go on the next trip, and and to hopefully get a ticket to go back home in due course, which we did. And then obviously, so you went back there and lived back in New Zealand for a while longer? Yeah, yeah. So that was early 80s. And um, apart from, you know, short trips overseas, um, I was in New Zealand until 2004 when uh, we made the move over here. So basically, yeah, uh, 20, 25 years of working in New Zealand. Mm. Yeah. Um, used to travel to Australia a lot for business um, yep. through that period and um, also up through Asia. The odd trip to Europe as well. And what sort of uh, work were you getting up to in the in the sort of late eighties, nineties? Um, yeah. What sort of types of work were you doing then? Well, I'd started my career in the packaging industry, making corrugated boxes. That was what our business did. Um, I was in the production, planning, and logistics sort of side of things, um, and then um, uh, was laid off late eighties. Uh, you know, there were, there were a lot of economic challenges at that time, um, and uh, businesses were sort of certainly looking to. You know, to ways of cutting costs or doing things better or whatever, they didn't always make the right decisions. And when you're on the receiving end, you probably don't think it's the right decision. But um, that created another opportunity for me, which was to get into the textile industry. And um, so a friend of mine said, "Oh, there was there's this business uh, in town which I knew of. Um, it was a prominent business, and uh, I said they're, they're looking for some people. I think so. Uh, you know, go along and see the manager, who, who I did know." And uh, I went along and had a chat with him, made an appointment, had a chat with him. And it was just, it was like we are today. It was just a chat, you know. Mm. Um, and uh, he said, oh, well, you know, there could be something here, but there's nothing here at the moment and, um, and so on. So I just walked out and that was fine. And then the next day he rang me up and said, I've got a job for you. Uh, and that was my entry into the textile industry. And I've been in that or associated with that virtually ever since. Um, and so we were manufacturers of uh, knitted fabric, uh, mainly for the women's fashion industry, so swimwear, exercise wear, intimate apparel, out of fashion, all that sort of thing. Stretch fabrics. Um, majority of what we did eventually came to Australia. Um, we developed the market here. Um, and uh, so I was coming over here a lot to see customers and, um, and uh, agents and that sort of thing. 
um, and then travelling through Asia as well to uh, source raw materials for the business. So uh, yeah, got to travel a bit, uh, but was certainly obviously based in um, in small town New Zealand even then. Um, Excellent, yeah. yeah. So it's the eighties, nineties, um, and obviously I think you came from a fairly big family where you had lots of brothers and sisters. Or? Yeah, yeah. So three older sisters, uh, two younger sisters, and a younger brother. So six. Uh, Six, six other siblings, yeah. 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 So uh, my older sister was living in Melbourne um, since the mid-70s, uh, she's been there. So we, were ha- we had a connection, um, I've got another sister that lives in Perth. Um, we're quite a scattered family, both my siblings and my kids. Yep. Um, so I've got, uh, there's only one in New Zealand now, of my siblings. Um, my brother lives in Zurich. Um, Switzerland, wow. Yeah. Another sister lives in, um, in London, mm. so, we, so we do get around. Um, and my kids uh, are all over the world as well. One's in Sydney, one's in Auckland, uh, one's in London, and one's in Thailand. So, yeah, so, Thailand. Yeah. Wow. So they get around. Yeah, certainly. So, yeah. so um, that's so four four children. So I guess um, what 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 are you sort of planning <coughs> Christmas wise this year? Is Christmas anywhere in particular? Christmas is in New Zealand. First time for a number of years. So uh, we're looking forward to that. So uh, we fly over there just before Christmas. Um, a couple of the kids are meeting us just out of Christchurch, mm-hmm. and uh, we've got Christmas there, uh, a few days there um, at a, a beach house that we've rented, and then we're meeting out oh, at a beach house. Well, that's, that yeah. sounds good. Yeah, yeah. You're never far from the water in New Zealand. Um, it's great. No, I guess not. Yeah, yeah. And then um, uh, Boxing Day, we're heading a bit further south to Omaru and uh, we meet up with uh, three other friends from here in Brisbane and then the next day we head up into the into the mountains um, to the base of Mount Cook in fact uh, with our bikes and we're going to be riding back to Omaru which is about I think it's about 300 k's over the next four days wow that so, sounds yeah sounds like adventure and I, th- I noticed something about you Dennis you, you love adventure you love obviously you love travelling like a lot of people love travelling but you like taking it a little bit further and you know, turning into big hikes, adventures. Tell us some about some of the mo- more memorable sort of adventures, I guess, that you've done in your life. You know, travelling and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, for a, for a number of years, we had a group of friends when we were in New Zealand, and uh, Easter became a, a, a time when we got together at some remote place, um, and we'd spend three or four or five days there with our families, young families growing up and it was generally as i said it was a remote place generally there were lots of hills around and maybe some lakes and that sort of thing but it was it was really into hiking and outdoor stuff and you know wear the kids out take them up a mountain and then have them walk back as well um so we did a lot of that um with the with the family growing up um and we've we've traveled the world i I suppose uh recent memories are the clearest but um i had a, a week in myanmar recently with my daughter um, who's working just across the border in Thailand and um, so this this wasn't a, a major outdoor expedition so, so, such, so me and my, I mean I, I wasn't at the bots um, presentation that you did uh, that particular mm. day where you did that on Myanmar yeah, didn't you yeah that's right uh, and so that's not you're saying that's not too far from Thailand that's pretty yeah so if you look at look at the map of um, Southeast Asia there um, most people know where Thailand is mm. um, Burma's a little bit more off the radar but it's about the same size as Thailand and it just sits to the um, to the west and a little bit north mm. and in fact it's a very similar sort of shape with a with a big part up the top and a narrow peninsula going down the bottom um, but uh, we don't hear people don't go there very much because for a long time it's, it's had a military regime and it's been fairly closed, a bit of a pariah state really. Um, it's starting to open up. They had um, uh, first first elections were in 2010, um, but the the party that um, that was allied to the military regime that was there in the, at that time um, won most of the seats, so there wasn't much change. In 2015, the um, the opposition won the you know came through and won the election. So, so there is is a bit of change happening now. The military still have a, a role to play, um, but it is gradually opening up. Um, sanctions have been reduced, but what we hear about the place mainly is the problems that have been in the Rohing- uh, with the Rohingya people in the Rakhine state in recent times. Um, 
and the ethnic issues that um, that the country has. There's a there's a huge number of different ethnic groups, and there's a lot of tension, and there's been a lot of wars and unrest and so on over many many years. So it hasn't been a very welcoming sort of place to go to. Yeah. Okay. Mm. But um, being right next door to where my daughter is working, so she's working in a um, in a school just across the border um, from Myanmar, and um, they they are working with Burmese students. So it's Burmese migrant children that are they're working with. So she's got quite an interest in where they come from. She's been there uh, once or twice before, and um, I've been in Europe. I was planning to go to Europe, and then um, I said to her, "Well." On the way back, I'll call in and I'll spend a weekend with you if you like. And she said, well, I'm going to be on holiday, so why don't we go to Myanmar for a week? Because I'd have a bit of interest in going as well. So For sure. So yeah. we did. Um, uh, so uh, found it a very pleasant place to go to. Uh, people were very friendly and, and welcoming. Um, not a lot of tourists around, not a lot of um, uh, Sydney Western foreigners so around. So it's a pretty unknown quantity then, really. It, it, yeah, it was. It was, really. Um, but uh, we saw no sign of unrest in the areas that we went to. Um, we went to Yangon, which was uh, formerly known as Rangoon under the, under the uh, British colonial period. Um, we went up to Bagan, which is an archaeological <coughs> area, and then we went um, up to Mandalay as well. Um, and, uh, yeah, good times. Um, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's off the tourist track, so, so some of the uh, facilities aren't as good as you, you see elsewhere, but you have a more realistic experience in some ways. But, yeah. yeah. That's what makes it, I guess, fun for a person like yourself. You, yeah. like, you like a bit of adventure. Yeah, I like, like, like to do some different things. You like things. to go outside your comfort zone mm. a little bit mm. when it comes to, to that. Um, yeah. you, you, it takes me to the to that um, the story you told our group a couple of years ago about uh, that track all the way across Spain, was it? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we, we did, um, we spent a few weeks on the Camino. Camino, that's in it. Spain. So probably most people now have heard of that. It's become um, quite uh, quite a popular um, thing for certainly active tourists to do. <laughs> um, originally, of course, it was a pilgrimage, mm. um, Christian pilgrimage to uh, Compostela on the close to the uh, west coast of Spain and people used to come in the medieval times particularly from all over Europe to uh, to the um, the shrine of St James there and so there's all these tracks that converge yeah. on on this the city of uh, Compostela to Santiago um, and um, and then it fell into disuse over time um, and probably 30 or 40 years ago, people started to rediscover it. Mm. And now there's tens of thousands of tourists and pilgrims and um, young adventurers and older adventurers um, joining in. So, uh, yeah, so we did that um, over a period of uh, about two and a half weeks. Mm. We, we just did a small section, but had an experience of it. Um, walked 250 odd k's, something like that. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's a different sort of touring from being in first-class hotels or yeah, whatever, definitely. you know, you're living in, um, in dorms and in, stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, that, that sort of thing, you know, yeah. and, and each day you've got to find your accommodation. Well, we did it that way. You can do a fully planned one, but um, we did it with two of our children, and um, and um, that was what they wanted to do, and so we go along with them, and uh, yeah, it was good times, and you have a, a, you know, an experience of a local culture, and you know, you're living in villages a lot of the time, you know, you you walk into a village in uh, you know, midday or early afternoon and you've got to find somewhere to sleep and somewhere mm. to eat and, um, and then you put your feet up and relax and then start again the next morning. So you said you've been, I think, in Australia since about 2004. Whereabouts did you move to first First, when you... when you And was it the first time you lived in Australia in yep. 2004? It was the first time I'd lived in Australia um, and uh, we came to Brisbane. So we've, we came to Brisbane, we've been here ever since. Mm-hmm. Um, or virtually ever since there was a little gap um, but yeah I've never lived in anywhere else apart from Australia but I'd never been to Brisbane until I came here for work and so, so there was, it was obviously work related it was one of the reasons you moved here but what what, <clears throat> what, a, what I guess has kept you here um, and what, what really what do you enjoy about Brisbane and, and the life here I love the warmth mm-hmm. and uh, I struggle with the cold when I go somewhere else now last week I was down in Melbourne and it was 13 degrees one day and the wind was howling and, I thought, and that's, yeah. that's pretty crazy I mean I remember 12 months ago and it's about 12 months ago nearly to the day when I was in Tasmania um, and yeah like that like mm. like that um, 
we're talking the start of December, the end of November. We're talking a time of the year where the weather should fairly, you know, be on, be on its way up. Mm. And we had like a period of about three or four days that where it was just raining, it was wet, it was 13 degrees in Tasmania. At that time of the year, I got really sick. I was in hospital. But, mm. um, yeah, it's just crazy. I couldn't believe it. You know, you couldn't even go to the markets. It was that bad. Yeah, yeah. So. And, and if Melbourne weather's just like that recently, that's just uh, yeah, it was crazy, really, isn't it? But it's all over the place too, you know. I mean, we, we, we hear the stories about Melbourne, you know, four seasons in a day. Well, I certainly had four seasons last week because the first, <laughs> first couple of days it was 30-odd degrees and, you know, summer, warm yeah. and summery, really summery, you know. Um, and then it sort of deteriorated and by Friday it was it, was, it rained all day. Mm. Haven't had a day of rain like that, that sort of rain, I don't think, since New Zealand. Mm. Um, different sort of rain from here but it was just it, it rained all day it was windy it was cold mm. um, you couldn't escape it yeah so yeah so I don't don't like the cold no um, and um, you know days like yesterday here are, are pretty trying pretty challenging if you're out in the heat but generally um, it's sort know, of a, well, tell me about yesterday well yesterday a bit of a weather event um, <coughs> well the power went off here for three or four hours I think mm. here in Kedron I think Nunda may have been affected, yeah. but did, was the power out at your place? Or no, not? the power wasn't out. There's a lot of branches down off trees um, and and a few trees down. Um, no damage at our place, but I was just sitting in my office there, and so I've got a home-based office, as you know, and uh, sitting in front of the computer, and I thought, oh, it's, it's getting a bit dark. I'd better, better just uh, go and check, you know, because they had forecast a storm, you know. Walked outside and it was fairly black and I thought, oh, there's a few drops coming. Yeah. Raced around, just had time to, to close up the house, um, close all the Still windows, because yeah. um, all the windows were open, doors were open, you know. So it took me you know, a couple of minutes to, to go around the house and do all that. And by then it was... It, bucketing. It was bucketing down. Mm. But it only lasted about five minutes. It was all over. Um, yeah, we had the lights out on the, on the road. It was yeah. pretty crazy and was a power outage sort of affected mm. us yesterday that's for that is yeah. for sure but um what, what i do like about tell us a bit about um we'll, we'll get we'll go through a few things mm. but um the brisbane airport rotary club uh when did you first become involved in rotary at all and uh and what sort of attracted you to that particular club um and that sort of thing yeah um so i don't have a long association with rotary um Back in New Zealand, um, my boss, uh, many years ago, had tried to get me into it, and I had enough to do at the time, and it didn't particularly appeal, probably, so I, I resisted that and ended up never never going along other than as a guest speaker a couple of times. Um, so a friend uh, invited me along, um, 2011, I think it was, um, said there's this business networking group that's just started up at the... Um, at the airport, um, Rotary, um, might like to come along. So I did, came along to one of their breakfast meetings um, and I've never stopped going. No, it's, we, I mean, it's, yeah. it's a weekly breakfast. It's uh, Tuesday down at the Transit Tavern still. That's right, yeah. Yep. So if anyone ever wants to get if it's down that way, but um, it's very certainly a great and diverse group of um, uh, members of that club and I've certainly... Uh, uh, enjoyed any time that I'm affiliated with 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 that particular Rotary Club because um, uh, they they run the best uh, Melbourne Cup one of the you know the best Melbourne Cup function in the last three years we've attended that and it's been a, a fantastic day Dennis um, mm. so it's a feather in your cap that you that you put on that event uh, every year and we've had our staff there as well yeah well, we're certainly Tim very grateful for the support that you've given to that event and to other things that we do and the other ways that you support the club so you know I know you have your your own involvement with Apex and, mm. and other things that you do but um, your support of our Rotary Club is, uh, is certainly very much appreciated yeah it's certainly diverse members there you've got some younger members as well yep. um, like um, McLovin or Lachlan or whatever his Lachlan. name is Schneider yeah. Um, Sam is yeah. she seems to be the centrepiece of the club every time <laughs> she seems to be in, in, not so much in control of everything but if she's mm. not in control of it she knows about it she's involved with it all yeah <laughs> yeah I think um, you know Rotary has uh, probably has the, uh, the the perception or people have the perception of Rotary rather that um, it's an old men's club and it used to be well it used to be a men's only 
um, organisation. That changed many years ago, but um, some people still think of it as mainly a men's men's organisation. Um, and it has aged over time. So, you know, there are some of the challenges that Rotary as a whole faces, but our club has a, a good um, mix of, of men and women. We've certainly got many more men than women, but we've got some very good women in the club. Um, and we've got a full age range. So we're one of the few clubs in the country that has got 18, 19, 20-year-old members. Um, most clubs seem to start at about 40 or 45 or something or 60, like that, yeah. or 60. Um, <laughs> yeah, there, there are some clubs whose average age is over 70. Well, mm. our oldest members have only just reached that point, you know. Yeah. Um, but we've, um, we've, in particular, we've fostered a relationship with Aviation High School. That's, so what, that's great. I mean, yeah. that's, that's certainly a... Because it's very close and it's in the area and mm. it's aviation. Yeah, know, yeah. So, so, so the the Rotary Club at Brisbane Airport is has got an aviation focus. So we we set out and uh, initially I wasn't involved with the setting up of the club, but um, there was a there was a perceived need that um, there should be a, a Rotary Club there where there's something like thirty thousand people work at the airport. No one lives there, but thirty thousand people work there. Um, and we could tap into that resource. Um, you know, there's a lot of business people there, and so um, so the the the, uh, the moves were made to to establish a club, and eventually that um, that happened. Um, and so a lot of members with an aviation uh, background might be working in some aviation-related industry, um, teaching in the aviation area, that sort of thing. So it was logical um, also to connect with Aviation High School because that's their theme is, is similar to our theme. They're also the closest high school to where we meet, um, but that's in a, in a bit coincidental really. So we, over time we developed a relationship um, with them and the principal there, David Munn, has been very supportive of what we're trying to do. Uh, we formed an interact club in the school. So uh, Rotary has, um, it, it, Rotary's for adults. Um, Rotaract is for, for young adults, so um, 18 to 30, I think it is, um, but Interact is for school age kids, high school, wow. high school kids. Um, so a lot of Rotary clubs have involvements with Interact clubs in schools. But so so we set out to uh, to do that. We established the club, uh, and then we invited the members along to our breakfasts, um, and some of them started coming, and they kept coming, mm. um, and and then when they left school, they wanted to join. They can't stay and interact, so and they wanted to join us. And um, uh, you've got to be 18 to to join a Rotary club. We had them lining up um, at 16 and 17 to try and join, and we had to say, well, no, we can't actually have you as members. Is that, is that our Lockie joined through that? Lockie was the was the uh, the first one to turn 18, <laughs> and uh, he was uh, for a time he was uh, certainly not only the youngest member in our club, but probably the youngest Rotarian in the world. Um, because he joined virtually on his 18th birthday, he was lined yeah. up well beforehand. Uh, but we, on him. we had to tell him to wait. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, just this year, um, two more students leaving Interact, uh, leaving um, Aviation High School, and having to leave the Interact Club have indicated they want to join our club for next year. So uh, we're really looking forward to them joining us as well. Excellent. So, <clears throat> tell us a bit about. Um, I guess Everest Resources, how that all sort of came about, um, how you sort of got into the space of, um, you know, consulting in this HR space, which is um, really, it's still a specialist skill. People seek out um, the skill set that you've got. Uh, we've referred clients to see you, we've used you. Tell us a bit about how it all started yeah. with Everest. Um, so my background was in uh, business management, I suppose. Um, uh, as I said earlier, in the textile industry, you became general manager of, of the company that I was with. Um, and then um, it was time for, time for a change, and I did a few couple of other things for a couple of years, and that's why I came to Brisbane, um, took another job here. And then um, uh, basically that came to an end, and I sort of looked around for what I wanted to do next. And um, I looked, looked at what I had, and I had um, sort of industry specific skills, so knowledge of the textile and fabric industry and that sort of thing, um, but also management skills and in particular how to manage people. Um, and I thought I was, I knew I was good at managing people and I thought well that's something that could be transferred to other people and other businesses. So that's why I set up Everest Resources um, as a HR business. Um, 
added in the health and safety side of things after that, after yes. a little while. Um, so now I work with businesses such as yours, mainly small to medium businesses, mm-hmm. helping them um, get their act together, get their ducks in a row in terms of um, what they need for HR processes and documentation and so on, the same with health and safety, um, and helping them through the, the crisis times. A lot of small businesses don't do a lot in these areas until they have a problem. Um, so they'll have a, an issue with a staff member or or they'll have an accident or something like that and then they realise, well, we actually really need to do things a bit better here. So, um, And we help them to meet their legal responsibilities as well. So do you think, do you, you feel that you have to do quite a bit of um, PD to keep up to date with things that might change in, in the industry as well? Are you, are you finding that yeah. over in recent yes. years? Yes, I mean, there are, um, sometimes there are significant changes, um, such as the introduction of the Fair Work Act and the um, changes to the Health and Safety Acts a few years ago. Um, but it's a, it's a constantly changing area, um, the whole area of... Um, sexual harassment and sexual discrimination, those sort of things has, has really come to the fore in the last couple of years. So you do have to get up to date with, with the legislation, with the regulations, uh, when there is some sort of change like that. But you've also got to sort of um, get your clients to become aware that these are now issues that they need to think about as well. Um, because if they don't, um, then they run the risk of having a problem. But if they are active and proactive in, in, in the, the area that's come to the fore, then, um, then they, they reduce the risk they have to themselves and their, and their business. And what do you think? I mean, <coughs> obviously the gig economy is emerging. Mm. Um, it, it certainly creates problems for businesses, employers, um, distinguishing the people that they're working with, you know, whether they're employees or contractors. Uh, what their rights are, you know, are they getting paid above the, the minimum wage? All these types of issues that are there at the moment, and you, you're reading these types of articles in the news. And where do you see things going with the gig economy and and this type of thing? Well, I suspect that it's it's going to increase rather than decrease. Um, uh, the way the employment market is at the moment, it's it's becoming increasingly difficult for um, graduates from high school or, or university to get full-time work or to get it fairly quickly once they finish their studies. Um, so they have to take what is available and um, often employers are also looking for flexibility or they they might be small employers, they don't actually have a need for a full-time person but they've got a, a, enough work for a part-time person so uh, so they look around and they get a, you know, get a part-timer that suits their needs um, but then that part-timer wants full-time work so they have to look for something else and so I think this is this is something that's just going to continue to be a reality. Um, historically it's interesting that full-time permanent secure employment has never been a feature of, um, of, of the work environment until probably the, sometime in the 20th century. So prior to that people were often very mobile, often working at different sorts of things. If you look at you know, historical documents of what people did in the 1800s and 1700s, you'll find that there's, there's people that were working in the gig economy back then. You know, they, they would spend a bit of time doing this and then a bit of other time in the week doing something else and so on. Yeah. So, so it's something that we've got used to in, in the last few decades, but, sure. it's, but it's not actually been a historical uh, definitely not for historical. a long time. No, yeah. Yeah. I can see yeah. where you're coming from. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm working in the gig economy myself. I've got several business interests and, you know, I'm juggling them, uh, you know, on a daily basis. And well, I might add. Mm. Um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's quite interesting where things will go in the future mm. and where we think companies like Uber, Deliveroo. Mm. Um, what, what's your little sort of take on Uber and what the, how they've disrupted the, the taxi industry and what, what's your sort of take on this? Um, well, I think probably the taxi industry was, was ripe for some challenges. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, overregulated, um, cost too high. Yes. Um, and by that I mean the the cost to the consumer was was pretty high. You know, it cost you forty or fifty or sixty dollars to get from say Brisbane Airport to the city. And then the licensing. Um, but that's driven by the by the licensing. You know, yeah. I mean, what's what's the real value in a license that's 
two, three, four hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, know? exactly. Um, it's an artificial thing. Um, I mean, governments have got to get their money from somewhere and and so on. But um, that was that was, in my view, was 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 a was a, um, a silly um, sort of feature of, of the taxi industry. And now it's it's being reduced. It's not all gone. Um, uh, then you've got the other side where the Uber drivers or Deliveroo, whoever it is, um, you know, the the people working in the industry don't have much protection. No. Um, they tend to be um, set up as indi- as as individual contractors rather than employees. Um, the gig economy. Yeah, mm-hmm. The gig economy. There's there's all sorts of issues that come up there. Um, it suits some people. Some people are quite happy with it. Some people don't care about the the lack of protections, but. But others do, you know. So, and 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 those that are really at the lower levels of um, of the economy um, sometimes struggle to, to cope with the pressures that they're put under mm. in those circumstances. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. So, what about? So, tell us a bit about your the Ashwood um, bamboo blinds business. Where did that all start? How, and obviously, you said you had a textile background, so I can see how that may have transitioned. To, across to this uh, business when did it all start and and how much time do you sort of spend in in this particular business at the moment yeah probably spending more than half my time on that at the moment um so ashwood bamboo blinds um is actually well my sister my oldest sister that i mentioned in melbourne um earlier um it's it's her and her husband's family business um her son now works in it as well um and um, I'd had a bit of interest and a bit of contact with her over the years, but never really done anything with it. And then um, at that time, uh, a few years back, when I was looking for the next thing to do, um, I had a conversation with her and we talked about um, yeah, what, what they were doing and, and they had some expansion plans and, um, and so on. Um, and I'd been... Um, the last part of my time in the textile industry was in the upholstery and curtain fabric area. So I moved into a different sort of area. And so I had a bit of understanding of interior fashions and, and so on from that. And so there seemed to be some some commonality there, synergy, um, yeah. some synergy. So uh, we had a conversation and she, she said, well, you know, we're looking for someone to do some work in Sydney for us. And I said, well, what about Brisbane? And so, I, the conversation went on and, and I uh, ended up looking after their um, needs in Brisbane um, and then added into that Sydney a few months later. Um, so I now look after basically New South Wales and Queensland for the business. Um, and uh, we manufacture uh, high quality bamboo blinds, uh, distribute them throughout Australia and um, and a little bit of export business, not very much, but we do a little bit of stuff overseas. Um, and then we've expanded beyond that. So uh, we've still got um, what was Ashwood Bamboo Blinds, now known as Bamboo Blinds Australia. We've rebranded it as that. Um, and then we dropped the bamboo out and we had Ashwood Blinds. So Ashwood Blinds is the, is the uh, trading name for general blinds. So we, so we also uh, cover basically most window furnishings and that so your roller blinds venetian blinds and roman blinds and we do a bit of curtains and um yeah so we basically cover the field in terms of uh, window yep. interior window furnishings and and a lot of exterior product as well so it's it's evolved mm-hmm. um it's challenging times in uh, in that sort of area but um there seems to be a bit of a resurgence at the moment in bamboo uh, we're certainly seeing it. We're putting bamboo into a lot of high-quality homes and and uh, commercial installations, particularly in the hospitality trade in recent times. So, yeah, um, it's uh, it's it's an interesting area to be in, and um, and it's always changing. Mm. Being fashion, it's always changing. Yeah. So, what sort of um, and obviously, I'm hoping to have a bit of a look at some of your uh, product lines today. That's yeah. for sure. Be, be happy to sell you something. Too. I'm sure you will. <laughs> Um, I have to convince my uh, lovely wife um, mm. what, what, what's going to work with the you know the new um, windows that have been put in by all kind uh, yes. <laughs> joinery. So um, yeah, so networking. When did you first start doing networking to the sort of near the levels that you've been doing it over the last four or five years? Mm. When, when did you first get into that in, in Brisbane? In Brisbane, yeah. Um, 
so there wasn't a need for that in the roles that I had in New Zealand, but I, but I, um, I was involved with industry organisations over there. Um, so I sort of knew how to you know, connect with people. But when I started my own business, the, the HR business, um, I knew no one virtually in, in the area in which I was starting to work. So how do you meet people? You've got to go out and network, you know. Um, I don't think it works um, to try and, you know, advertising, to try advertising, you know, from a, from a zero base. You've got to get uh, known and um, people get to know you and get to get confidence in what you, who you are and what you do. Um, so that's what I did. So I joined um, the Brisbane North Chamber of Commerce at the time uh, and a couple of other networking groups. Um, but I'd look for any opportunity to, to meet people, you know, go to the opening of an envelope back then if, it's, uh, you know, if there was a chance to meet some people. Um, so um, uh, through the Chamber of Commerce, met a lot of people and made connections. And I think that's the thing with networking. It's not just the first people that you meet, but it's who they know and who yeah. those people know. And, and I mean, you, you know that very well yourself. So um, over time, uh, got involved in some of the same groups as, as yourself. Um, we've mentioned Rotary, made connections there. Um, we've mentioned Bots. Um, I found that a very good networking group. It's small, it's independent, but um, it's worked. And then um, KBBG mm. as well. Um, and a lot of those people have become not just business connections, but friends. Um, and then obviously Rotary, so yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, bots is, it's, we've been part of bots for how many years now? Four or five years oh, at least. Oh, yeah. I th- yeah. I, w- I was thinking about that this morning. Yeah, it'd be five or six years, I think, that I've been. I think I've been in a bit longer than you. Maybe, yeah. yeah. Mm. But it's, it's, I mean, Marcel set that up. It's, it's mm. just a great group. And at the, I'm, what I'm really happy about with, with bots in particular, Dennis, is how it's sort of grow, how it's sort of not faded, it's sort of, you know, when people do leave and they do, we get new members in mm. multiplying. Yeah. Um, so membership's north of 20, the way I see it at the moment. Yeah. And uh, it's it's a testament to how well Marcel runs, you know, runs things. You've been there, um, you know, backing him up as well. Um, and it's just, it's just a great bunch of people. And, um, you know, even when we've had some lawyers and financial planners leave, now we've got another new lawyer and a and a new, yeah. finan- new financial planner and um, bookkeepers and all that sort of thing. So it, it's it's a great group and really enjoy you know spending a, a Friday morning you know once a fortnight uh, hearing you know somebody have a, a presentation and and that sort of thing. It's just great and and then what Robert and Mandy Cooper do with the Kedron Brook Business Group, which we had breakfast yes. there yesterday. Yeah. Um, that's been going for a very long time as well, mm. probably four years at least, yeah, maybe yeah, five, four or five years. years yeah. mm. I've been to most of those, I go to about at least 10 of those a year, every month. Uh, I was at the first one as a speaker, I, th- I think from memory. Uh, but they, they're great as well, and uh, it's still getting more than 20 people coming along. Um, I think it's a great way of networking, and that's what, you know, what the podcast, we like to sort of support networking generally, so the bots... Um, you know the uh, Kedron Book Business Groups, as well as you know the Chambers of Commerce. You know the Valley Chamber of Commerce mm. is what I'm a member of. So um, yeah, so it's 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 excellent. So yeah, it's what what I guess what what do you got planned for next year? Anything in particular? Any any sort of holidays that you've got planned, Dennis? Um, well, we've mentioned the Christmas holiday, of course. Um, but um, my wife, being a school teacher, we uh, we schedule our breaks away around the school holidays. So she te- still teaches at the moment. Yeah, she's um, teaching at uh, St Joseph's Gregory Terrace at the moment. Mm-hmm. Been there a couple of years. Loves it there. Pretty good school. Um, so we're heading off um, at Easter time. Uh, we're doing a cycle ride down. Uh, I don't actually know terribly much about it yet, but it's uh, with a group of friends down uh, on the. Victoria, New South Wales border area, sort of thing. Chuka and um, yeah. you know, sort of areas. Yeah, yeah. yeah. somewhere in there. Um, they've organised it, and I'm just going along, oh. literally for the ride. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, th- so there's that, um, and we'll come back through uh, through Sydney. We've got the son and daughter-in-law expecting a baby in February, so it's um, our first grandchild. So uh, we'll first be, one. Wow. Yeah, we'll be uh, certainly trying to spend a little bit of time in Sydney next year. Um, 
And beyond that, uh, we, we've had a busy time with holidays in recent times. So uh, we you think you've had too many holidays? Is that what you're oh saying? no, 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 <laughs> ne- never, never too many. But <laughs> it could get a bit confusing sometimes when you've got three or four holidays planned ahead, and you're you're doing flight bookings and accommodation mm-hmm. bookings for several things at once, and you've got to make sure it all links together and coordinates and so on. Yeah. So what's I guess with the with the businesses at the moment, you, you're obviously spending, you know, let's say you're spending 50% of the time in each one you do the, the networking. Is there an end goal in mind with with Everest Resources? I mean, is that something you, you want to just do to pass time until you retire or is that is that going to go somewhere else? Or until, And with Ashwood Blinds, is there any, any sort of, what, what do you see happening? Um, I'm probably putting more effort into the blinds business at the moment. Um, I see that growing. Well, it is growing, um, and I'd like to continue that. Um, I think I've personally, I, I've sort of done my time in the HR business. Um, I'm happy to carry on and to continue service existing clients, um, people such as yourself, and I'm still doing that. Um, and if new clients come along through referrals, through referrals generally, that sort yeah. of thing, um, happy to take them on. So you know, I maintain my. Um, you know, keeping up to date with uh, with uh, what's happening in the industry, um, but longer term, probably um, put a bit more emphasis into the the blinds business. I certainly enjoy that, um, and uh, and a couple of other things. I've got a couple of other sort of development things in the pipeline as well. So I'm not going to you know go to sleep yet, um, but. Uh, yeah, I, I I really enjoy the uh, the, the challenge of um, of finding new ways of uh, of uh, developing business, particularly in the in the uh, window furnishings area at the moment. That's that yeah. sounds sounds excellent. Um, yeah, anything else that you also wanted to add? Any other stories you wanted to tell the listeners here today, Dennis? Or oh, not really, Tim. Um, yeah, uh, it's. Uh, you know, I, I, I've mentioned the textile industry a lot, and uh, I love my time in that, and it was it was really interesting, interesting, interesting times, um, very challenging um, in lots of ways. Um, I learned a lot. I had some very good mentors during that time, um, and I think that's probably one one lesson for people is um, uh, is to listen to experienced people um, in business or in all parts of life. Um, they don't always have the right answers. They don't always have all the answers, but uh, but they've been around, and um, they've got a perspective, and then you can filter that and um, take what you need from it. Um, but good mentors can be a, a real inspiration, you know. And so tell me some of your mentors, uh, Dennis, that you've that I guess have been in your life uh, that that have helped you get to the person that you are. Yeah, maybe, um, yeah. Just maybe just some examples and a couple of names, even if you want. It's up. Yeah. Um, well, one that definitely comes to mind is um, was my boss for many years in the, um, in the when I was in the textile industry. That's a man called Tur Boron. Um, he was a uh, prominent businessman in New Zealand. Um, he was uh, the managing director of um, what was then known as Hallaby Holdings. Um, and he also had his own private business, uh, where he had a number of um, smaller companies that that uh, he'd grouped together. So at any time, he had probably 25 chief executives of different sized businesses reporting to him, um, which is a you know a huge number really. Mm. Um, but his trick was to uh, make sure he didn't have too many problems with them. Um, mm. And and one of the ways he did that was he gave ownership to the people who were running the business. Now, I'm not talking about necessarily financial ownership, but I'm talking about ownership of, of how the business is run. So I never had any um, financial ownership of the business that I was in, but he'd said to me, I want you to run this business as if it is your own which means two things. One is that you take responsibility for it, but you also have the freedom to do stuff. So he, he wasn't looking over your shoulder all the time um, and controlling you as to, as to what you were doing and how you were doing it and so on. He wanted to see some good figures at the end of the day, 
Um, and in a sense, he didn't care about how they got there. Okay. Uh, but if the figures were, were bad, then he'd step in and he'd say, well, what, what can we do to get these, figures, to, right. to get these yeah. figures right? What can you do? What are you going to do? You know? mm. And so he'd tease out of you the, the plan to improve the business or to improve whatever aspect needed, needed improving, and then he'd hold you to that. Um, and if you know, so you make a plan and, and agree to it. Um, if you went and did something else and it worked, fine. If you went and did something else and it didn't work, then you were held accountable for that, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, but it was giving, giving that freedom to, to run things as you saw fit as long as you, you got the results. Um, so that was a very good lesson, I think, and and that's what I, I encourage my clients to do, and I've encouraged my employees over the years to do is to take ownership for what they yep. do. You know, very, that's very good advice. Yeah. Great advice. Um, so you know, it's the opposite of micromanagement. Uh, yeah, I was going to say yeah. that's, that's obviously not micromanaging. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I've I've experienced micromanagement as well, and it's it you can be have. it can be crippling. You know. Yeah. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. um, so, so that's um, that's one mentor that always comes to mind. Yeah, know? definitely, yeah. and that's great. And that's it's um, been a pleasure having you on the podcast, Dennis. So mm-hmm. we've got a, certainly a, there's a fairly big weekend coming up, uh, in, I guess in in fighting sports. Mm-hmm. Yes, <laughs> we've got uh, tomorrow night. We've got Mundine versus Horn here at Suncorp Stadium. I don't, I don't know if you're into boxing, but no. uh, that's um, it's going it's, it's to be a very interesting fight. I think mm-hmm. forty. We're going to have a 40,000 there at least at Suncorp at Stadium. Yeah. Huge. So me and my uh, couple of mates will certainly be going to watch that. So that's that's a big big start to the weekend. Uh, then I'm flying to Adelaide on Saturday. Mm. You said that. Yes. Um, so flying there with, uh, with my mate Matt and I'm going to support uh, our good friend uh, Ben Ten Win, who's been on the mm. podcast. Uh, yeah. Um, so he's fighting on Sunday in the UFC event uh, at Adelaide. Um, in the fight night there so we we're obviously going to wish him the best of luck uh he's um got a very good chance i think um i really hope he does um and uh so that's that's going to be huge mm. um a huge heavyweight boxing fight is also on at the exact same time uh over in america unbeaten tyson fury against um Deontay wilder i think it's in vegas or pretty sure so that's that's going to be huge as well. I don't even know if I because I'll be watching that other event live. I don't know if I'll be able to get my watch this as well. I know my friend and I we love we we sort of love that fight because it's, it's it's a huge fight. So a huge weekend. Um, yeah, thanks very much for coming on the podcast, Dennis. It's been great having you on. Uh, you've saved the day. I <laughs> uh, look forward to having a look at these uh, bamboo blinds, um, and hopefully we'll get something installed. At uh, at the Wilshire residence, uh, very very soon in yeah. time for Christmas, hopefully. <laughs> so we'll, we're getting we'll, close. We are getting very close yeah. to Christmas. Uh, hopefully, we we'll get a few more podcasts in before uh, we go away. But at this stage, I'll be away from the fourteenth uh, of uh, December. We're, um, we're heading off overseas, so hoping to get a few more uh, guests on the pod- podcast prior to then. Um, and uh, yeah, thank you very much for listening. It's been a pleasure having you on the podcast, Dennis. Thank you very much. Thanks, Tim. Thanks for the opportunity. Uh, that's uh, been Brisbane. It's been uh, from the Valley Podcast, Brisbane Business Life. Uh, Tim Wilshire, Confidential Tax and Business Services here, with uh, Dennis Keating from Everest Resources, Ashwood Blinds, uh, and also integral member of the Rotary Club of Brisbane Airport. Thank you very much, and everyone have a great day.